As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's, what's, I, what I think is wrong is not allowing young people to know there are, are other options. Hello, and welcome to the Financials Podcast, Future Rich. I am your host, Barbara Ginty, and I'm also a CFP. And I am here with my expert episode uh, with Dan Sheeks. Hi, Dan. Hi, Barbara. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to have you because I feel like you're filling a great void uh, that we have in the financial literacy space by uh, with your new book that's coming out on Monday that addresses financial literacy for teenagers. Yeah, I hope it. I, I, there is a void and I hope it you know, fills some of that void. That's, that's the whole mission behind the book. Yeah, which is great. So I, uh, I got a sneak peek. You can get your, you see my notes here. I should take those out. But um, you can get your copy on Monday. But I thought it'd be interesting to kind of start with your background and how you got into financial literacy. Yeah, it, um, it's kind of a long story, so I'll make it short. Uh, I... I grew up in, in the Midwest in a, in a lower middle-class family. So money was always kind of an issue, but not to the point where I was ever, you know, um, wanting or needing things. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I wanted things, but <laughs> I, you know, we had food shelter and we were safe. That's the main stuff. So, um, but money was always, you know, it was limited and that always kind of stuck with me. Uh, Fast forward in college, I majored in business um, because I honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just knew I wanted to make a lot of money and be rich. So I thought business would be a good major. Um, so graduated with a business degree and then started traveling after college. I knew that the corporate job just wasn't going to be for me, at least at that point in my life. I knew I didn't mm -hmm. want to be working 40 hours a week or more. So I just started traveling for a while and in the process kind of grew up honestly and matured a little bit and realized there was much more to life than just being rich and making lots of money decided to be a teacher because that's a very fulfilling rewarding job yeah. which i was thinking it would be that and it definitely has turned out to be that and then started teaching business classes in high school uh found out and 
I guess I knew this, but really became very much aware that there's a lack of financial literacy education and personal finance education yeah. in our high schools. Um, so wanted to change that. Yeah, they don't teach you anything about money. And I feel like it's like the one thing you definitely have to know when you graduate school is you have to know how money works, but they don't talk about it at school. Or in your school, it sounds like you do, but in general, there's a lack of literacy. There definitely is. In my school, we have a personal finance course that is an elective. And that's usually, if it if it is in a school, that's kind of the premise. Yeah. It's, it's an optional class. So few kids take it. Um, I've been fighting and, and advocating for a long time that personal finance classes become a high school requirement. And it's not just me. There's a whole movement behind that. And it's slowly making progress. But in the meantime, there's a lot of young people who still enter the real world without without basic personal finance education. Yeah, without the skills they need to succeed in the real world from a adulting standpoint. Um, so I just want to bring this up because this is, I thought it was a really interesting part about the book. Um, but so you went to college like everybody else does because there's a huge push now when you graduate high school, you go straight to college, even if you don't know what you want to do. And then as you said, you traveled, I will point, bartending in St. Thomas sounded amazing. It seems like a great life experience. Um, yeah. So one of the things that happened to you is you went and took out a lot of student loan debt and necessarily didn't need to because you weren't sure what you were going to want to do. And it just ended up with all the student loan debt that you then had to deal with. Yeah, no one. I've made a lot of mistakes, financial mistakes in my life, you know, I, and, and it's not my fault. I mean, I think everyone else probably has too, just because we didn't, we didn't know. Uh, no one was right. teaching us. Um, and so one of those was I did take on a ton of student loan debt. Um, I actually went to school three times. I got my undergraduate years later, went back to get my teaching license. And then a few years later, went back to get my master's degree. And every time I went back to school, I got more and more student loan debt and it just stacked on and on and on. And so that ended up handicapping me financially for decades. Um, and so I, you know, I, I don't think it's a good idea to go to college unless you're very sure that what you want to do with the degree that you're going to get. I, I didn't know. Um, and I ended up working out okay because I teach business in, college, in high school. And so mm -hmm. my degree is obviously helpful for that. Um, I need it. But I think a lot of young people end up going to college, picking a major like I did, just kind of on a whim. And then they figure mm -hmm. out, oh, I hate this, or I really don't want to do this. And then they have to switch majors or switch schools. Or worse yet, they go through all four years and never use that degree at all. Um, and so there's there's lessons to be learned there about, you know, planning for college intentionally mm -hmm. and, and not racking up lots of student loan debt. Well, I like the idea that in the book, it talks about deciding whether or not going to college after you graduate is the right decision for you. Because mm -hmm. it might be, but it also very well could not be the best decision for you. And yeah. I 100% agree with you. If you don't know what you want to do, I do not think that you need to spend $240,000 to live on campus, to party, to then still not know what you want to do after you've accrued to a, You could, like, as you said, take a gap year or travel and yep. make a decision with a little more data before you do that. And I, it, it definitely feels like the track now is everybody just goes to college and that's not necessarily the right financial decision for everybody. Yeah, it's it's just been 
ingrained in our society that the typical American dream pathway includes going Mm -hmm. to college for four years and getting a degree and racking up student loan debt. And so young people and adults, you know, their parents Mm -hmm. are just, they don't realize that there are other options and you don't have to go to a four-year school. You don't have to go to the most expensive school and have the largest student loan debt, you know, and the gap year is a great idea. I'm a big fan of the gap year. Um, taking some time to just like I did mature, grow, explore, try some different jobs, be, do some service work. Perhaps a year is a long time. You can do a lot of different things. Um, rather than just, you know, following the herd and doing what everyone else does, which is four year degree, enter the workforce, work for 45 years. Yeah. So yes, your book challenges the stat. I, I guess I'll refer to it as a status quo. What every the mm-hmm. mainstream does, which is go to college after college, work for your 40, 45 years, then retire. And it challenges that me personally, I love that because I've done things a bit differently. I've always kind of listened to my own drummer here. Um, so I agree with you. So I think it's great, but you're getting people to start that process, you know, earlier, like the target is to get teenagers and young people, teenagers, I would even argue it's a great book for anyone because you go over basics like understanding credit score and getting into real estate investing and thinking differently, but you don't have to follow that same pathway just because everybody else is. Yeah. And the book, um, Barbara, the book, it's, it does have, like you said, it has some basic personal finance information in it. That's good for anybody that's just beginning their financial literacy journey, no matter how old you are. Um, but the book then, the main reason I wrote, there's there's a lot of great books out there about personal finance for teens or for young people. My book's different in that it, it, it goes over that quickly, um, but then it goes into these early financial independence strategies that uh, that's a movement that's starting to gain, gain a lot of steam and a lot of attention. And you know, if you Google early financial independence, there's a ton of stuff out there now. Yep. And it's just, it's just a whole nother way to look at your working career and, mm-hmm. and your livelihood. You know, the idea that you have to do the nine to five to your 65 grind just isn't, it, it's, it's okay. It's a great option. It works, but there are other options. So the book is written to introduce the young person to, Hey, there are other options and here's how they work. It may or may not be for you. I'm not going to say if it is or isn't. But now that you know all your options, you can make the choice for what's best for you. Right. Yeah. Providing them the education so that they can evaluate all the different options. So why don't we start with um, the recommendation in the book is the easiest way to get into it is, I believe you said house hacking to start. Mm -hmm. So the book talks about, uh, one of the things it talks about is building wealth and building passive income. Um, Most people have zero passive income and will never have passive income. Uh, but passive income is a really um, powerful tool to use to achieve early financial independence. Um, real estate investing is one of the best ways to earn passive income. Um, but most people think real estate investing isn't, you know, it's only for rich old guys who, <laughs> yes. yeah, but it's not. I mean, anybody can invest in real estate, um, even young people. And I have young people that I work with that are buying their first real estate property um, as a house hack as early as 19, 20, 21 years old. Yeah. Um, so the house hack strategy in a nutshell means that that young person or anyone, um, my, my wife and I house hack and we're in our 40s, uh, that young person buys a property 
Um, it could be for, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but we'll just say a house with five bedrooms. They live in one bedroom. So it is a primary mm -hmm. residence, which means the financing, um, options are great, low down payment, low interest, low interest rate, but then they rent out the other four rooms to friends, co colleagues, uh, fellow students, and the rent that they make from those other four rooms will almost, so it, you have to buy the right property. You can't just buy yeah. any property, but it's going to pay for all of the expenses of owning that property. So they get to live there for free. They get to build mm -hmm. equity through the mortgage pay down. They get to build equity through the appreciation. They get tax benefits. It is an amazing way to start a passive income stream. Right. Because you're using a house as a performing asset in that regard where a lot of people don't leverage their house or primary residence as an asset to create that that passive income because the key to the financial independence right is how much you're saving yeah it's how much you're saving and investing you got it so if you can eliminate your housing costs then that allows you because i think in the book you said that the average american saves like seven percent is that right yep and to do the financial independence you need to be 50 percent, 60 percent of those much higher numbers to get there yeah, I would say 30, 30% is due. I mean, you could, 10% is fine. It, the higher the savings rate, mm -hmm. the more money you can invest and the quicker you're going to get to early financial independence. But if you, I mean, if you're saving 10%, you might be able to retire when you're 55 instead of 65. You can go to 20%. Now you may be looking at 45. Um, I have friends that hammered it and went, went gas pedal down to the floor pedal to the metal and did it, you know, savings rates of 80, 90% um, and retired. Well, retired is not the right word. They reached financial right, independence right, right. in their, in their late twenties uh, and now have the freedom to do what they want when they want. Right. Because we should rephrase it because the financial independence, which I feel like sometimes depending on who the audience is, the concept is not to be fully retired. It's that you have control over your life and what you're spending your money on, what you're doing and spending your time. Yes, it is it's exactly that. It's the freedom of time, which is our most valuable asset. Um, it's the idea that, you know, and so I had a friend who came to my classroom to talk today to my kid. He comes in all the time and he reached financial independence, I think at age 26. And he's now, um, he just had a birthday. I think he turned 30. He didn't stop working. He said, now I can quit my job, which he did. He had a, a really good W2 job, quit that job. He had enough passive income from his house hacks. He did four, one a wow. year for four years. Uh, he had enough passive income from that to pay his living expenses, which were really low because he was living for free. That's our largest expense. Yep. Um, and he wasn't spending much on food, transportation, hardly anything on clothes and stuff like that. He was still having a, a fun, fruitful life. He wasn't doing nothing, but, um, but then he decided to start his own business. Now that business is doing great. Uh, he didn't, you know, he's still contributing and he's still creating and he's still you know, he's still having fulfillment through some, he's not just going to sit around and play video games for the rest of his life. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's completely doable. It's a proven method. It sounds a bit, when people first hear about early financial independence, and I get it because I was them too, it sounds um, a little bit scammy, like too good to be true. Uh, and a bit daunting, I think, because it's not your normal path. Right. It is. So. You have you have to be willing to take risk in the sense that you're you're going off the beaten path. Um, it's yeah. not uh, it's not more of a financial risk. If anything, it's actually less of a financial risk 
to not live paycheck to paycheck, to have a high yeah. savings rate. Um, it's financially less risky by far, but it's more risky in the, in the idea that people are going to ask you why you're doing what you're doing and people, and you're not going to be going out to the nicest restaurants and driving the newest car and living in the fancy condo downtown, like, like you could afford to do. And most Americans right. will do that. They spend, most Americans spend everything they make. Um, you're yeah. going to be saving a good chunk of that and it's investing in your future self. So you don't have to work till you're 65. Right. And then I, this is never really talked about, and I, I was happy to see it in your book. Um, the fact that more money and those nicer things actually doesn't change your level of happiness. Mm -hmm. You just always have kind of a baseline and you, you know, go up and down from there, but you always generally return to your baseline of happiness. And so I think that's interesting because I think a lot of people will get caught up in that lifestyle creep, right? Where yeah. you make more money, you get a nicer car, you make more money, you get a bigger house. And yep. then, but generally your happiness doesn't really change. No, it's, uh, in the fire community, we, we refer to that as lifestyle inflation or lifestyle creep. Same thing. Yeah. The more money you make, the more money you get to spend. And let's be honest, spending money is fun, right? Yeah. Spending money on things that we may or may not need or even want is fun. Um, which is why it's so easy to live that life of spending everything you make. Um, but yeah, the hedonic adaptation happiness idea is that, you know, if, if you're at a, whatever level of happiness you have on a daily basis on average, that's not going to go up or down based on how much you have, how much you spend. It, it can actually go up. It's proven if you give more, but that's another discussion. Yeah. Cause the gratitude as, and giving back. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's, that can make you much happier. So as long as people have enough money to pay for their, their needs, their housing, clothing, food, shelter, and safety, then, you know, and, and honestly, we should all spend a little bit and splurge every once in a while. We, we all deserve to do that. But right. spending a ton of money above and beyond what we call enough plus a little doesn't really bring um, more happiness. Uh, as a matter of fact, it can actually decrease your happiness because you have more responsibilities. You have more things to keep, keep up on. You have more things that are not working the way they should. You have more stress. You have more responsibility. Um, now, I'm not saying if you're, you know, don't strive to become a millionaire or a billionaire. I mean, because there's a lot of good things you can do with that money. But the hedonic adaptation says that we're basically going to be as happy as we make up our minds to be. And that's not going to change a lot. Right. And that doesn't have anything to do with if you're making 100000 or 300000 or 50000 no. no. But the concept is that you grow your wealth so that you have that freedom of time. And also, as you said, so that you could give back. So you can do what you want with your time. Yeah. A lot of the, the people who reach early financial independence, they either are doing service work, volunteering, or starting a business that has a real sense of purpose, something they're passionate about. Um, and unlocking that potential for people to do what they really want to do as far as contributing and serving other people, that's, that's huge. Um, and yeah, so hopefully absolutely. this book will allow a lot more young people to do that. You know, may, maybe not in the next 5, 10, 15 years, but somewhere when they're still, you know, young enough that they want to work hard. Right. Because I think um, you talk a lot about the entrepreneurial mindset. And I think that getting started on that younger is harder, right? Because it's not maybe what all your friends are doing or what everyone around you is doing. But you can get started on your path to financial independence, whatever that might look for you. But it takes a lot of work. It's not 
Yeah. Um, it's not a silver bullet. It's not just yeah. one thing that you have to do. I, and I sh I'm glad you brought that up because early financial independence, entrepreneurship, real estate investing, it is not for everybody. It is not easy. If it was, everyone would do it. Um, it's just right. one option. And if a lot of young people are, I think, you know, interested in that. And I, and I work with a lot of young people that, that are, then that are excited about that pathway. But if they're not, that's fine. Like, the, the traditional pathway, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with working until you're 65. It's a very noble way to live and it, it's a proven method and it's worked for millions and millions of people. What's, what's I, what I think is wrong is not allowing young people to know there are, are other options. And then if you want right. to work really hard and, and sacrifice some, honestly, when you're younger to have the reward of decades of your time back, then, then follow this pathway. If not, then go over here or anywhere in between. Right, but yeah, there should be like a clear road. Like there's this other road over here that you can take that's not the path that's the most traveled, but is available to you. And this is what this looks like. So that's important. And then you talk a little bit, and this was, I I don't think we've really talked about this much on the podcast, but you talked about how to figure out how much you need to have saved for financial independence. You talk about the rule. Um, I called it the the 4% rule. I think you said the rule four. I forget exactly how you phrased it in the book, but do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the four, it's called the 4% rule. Um, there's a ton of information out there about it, but in a nutshell, uh, a study was done examining worst case scenarios over, you know, decades in, in the U S history, as far as stock market investing goes, is really what we're talking about. There's, there was some bond investing in, included in there too. But it basically had this calculation that said that if you, it depends what your living expenses are, your annual living right. expenses. But, um, you know, there, there comes a point where you have enough money saved and invested that you now can confidently, not one, it's never 100% guarantee, but very confidently say that I have enough money to last until I die. Um, because the market's going to continue to have a return over time. It's never guaranteed to happen every single year, but over time, it's we can say the market's going to have a, a positive return. Mm -hmm. And so you can take out 4% of that initial balance to live off every year. And it, it's already adjusted. The calculations were adjusted for inflation. Now, inflation all of a sudden has changed and who knows yeah. how long it'll stay at this level. I, I believe that you know a, a year or two or three at the most will be back down to inflation levels that we're used Normal. to. Normal. Yeah. It might take a while though. Um, but when you're talking about long-term 30, 40 years or more, uh, I, I don't think inflation is going to stay or continue to go up. And we're not going to have hyperinflation in this country where we're seeing 20, 30%. It's not going to happen. So it's, you know, the 4% rule basically gives you a benchmark um, to say, I, I don't have to work anymore. I can live off of what I've saved. But even then people still, and, and that's because that's assuming that people don't make another dime for the rest of their life. After right. That yeah. Point. That they're just spending that. Yeah. And, but we're, you know, we're going to continue to, uh, you know, unless you are unable or you really are 65 or 70 at that point. Um, you know, if you reach that point when you're 45, 50 younger, you're probably still going to do something to, you know, make some money. Um, which just makes the calculation even stronger. Right. And that's not including, that's just if you're taking off your investments, not including if you have that passive income. So if you did the house hacking or got into rentals and 
Yep. And then you have that passive income stream and maybe you don't even need to pull from investments. Yeah. And that's, that's the other side of the equation that I talk about in the book. There's, there's passive income. And then there's what we were talking about earlier, the 4% rule. I call that sustainable asset withdrawal. So if you're taking money mm -hmm. out of a brokerage account or um, some other investment like that, how sustainable is that? And so you're right. Yeah. If you have high levels of passive income, then you, you don't need any sustainable asset withdrawal. I mean, it, it, there's two things, there's two buckets that you can pull from. My friend that I talked about who had four house hacks that reached early financial independence in his late twenties, um, it was all passive income. It was all real estate, say, yeah. passive income. He did have some investments, but he wasn't counting that. But that passive income that came in every month covered his living expenses and then some, and he was like, I don't have to work anymore. Now, it's very dangerous to never, and he, like, like I said, he's built another business, so he is working, but it's on his terms on when he wants to. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think that's the whole key. Um, and you yourself do real estate investing. Yeah. My wife and I definitely, we, we love real estate investing. Yep. So question, do you like Airbnbs or like rental rentals, like long-term rentals better? We like long-term rentals better. We we do have okay. we do have one property that is a full-time Airbnb property, and it does really well. It's it's our best performing rental property, but they're just a little more high maintenance. Um, okay. There's there's more work involved. I mean, it's like anything else. The more work you put into it, the more you get out of it. So we're right. a little bit more. We'd like to be a little more of the passive end of the scale for real estate. No real estate is completely passive. Um, but Airbnb is, um, you know, it's quite a bit non-passive. Yeah. It's, you're still not trading your time for money like you would in a job. It's much better mm -hmm. than that. But yeah, we have a little bit of both. Nice. Very nice. For the listeners who are avid listeners know, I've had not great luck with real estate. <laughs> oh, I've had very okay. expensive properties. I feel like now if I went to buy 10 other houses, I'd probably be fine because I've gotten all my luck, bad luck out of the way. But mm. yes, all properties... I touch become expensive, but I do like the concept of real, like you talk a lot about it, real estate in the book. And you mentioned that 90% of millionaires got there through, um, real estate or there's a quote like about that. It's a great way to achieve wealth. Yeah. 90% of 90% mil of millionaires invest in real estate. They don't real invest you know, only in real estate. They do other things too, but um, that's a lot of really smart people who have a lot of net worth that are choosing to invest in real estate for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. I, when I first became or got into personal finance, I noticed that a lot of the higher net worth clients all had real estate. It was like a common denominator mm -hmm. amongst the high net worth clients, but I had to spend years working before I figured that out, which is nice that <laughs> you explain it and you can learn about this younger. Um, so in addition to the book, there is going to be a workbook, right? There is a workbook. Um, both will be uh, both will be released in just a couple days on December 6th. And we'll, um, I'll give you a link, Barbara, to put in the show notes where people can go to buy the book and or the workbook. If they buy both together, they get a little discount. Um, they're published by a, a, a community called Bigger Pockets. Mm -hmm. And if any of your listeners are into real estate investing, they they definitely know about bigger pockets. So um, they're publishing the books, which is awesome. Very grateful that they are, are doing so. And yeah. And it's a great holiday gift, by the way, for all you, all the teenagers in your life. Yeah, no, I love it because 
starting with a small amount, whether it's buying your first property and house hacking, or as you said, you can also start investing young and you have the compounding of interest. I mean, it can be an absolute game changer if you get into this as a teenager. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's it's not for every teenager. I would say, you know, 15% of teenagers will, will actually read the book. Um, <laughs> you can give it to anybody, but you can't. You can lead that horse to water, right? But that's about. I was just gonna say, you can so lead. Yeah, you can lead a horse to water. Are actually motivated enough to read it. Yeah, um, we'll do. We'll do very well. Now, now you can do things as a parent to incentivize them. Yes. Yeah. How would you, as a parent, incentivize your teenager to become more engaged with personal finance? There's a lot of things parents can do. If you know, I think the typical household money is not discussed hardly at all. If 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 at all. If at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you got to change that. I mean, that's, that's the number one thing is that money discussions have to become commonplace and almost every day. And so doing things like um, just talking about money, talking about your income, talking about the expenses of the household, every household is kind of a small business. And so open mm -hmm. the books of that small business to your child at, a, at an early age an early meaning, you know, 12 or 13. And when you sit down to pay your monthly bills or when you, however you do it in your household, include them in that, include them in the discussions about where should the money be invested. Talk to them about your, your retirement accounts. Talk to them about where you're investing your money. Talk to them about the expense of the vacation that your family's about to take. Um, add them as an authorized user to your credit card and let them make some mistakes have it, have them open a joint checking account and savings account for your teenagers so they can, um, feel like they have their own accounts and, and they kind of do, um, encourage them to get a part-time job, a side hustle of some kind so they can earn money. Uh, there's so much, so much we can do, to, but the number one thing is you got to talk about, even if you're not completely as a parent, completely confident about your own personal mm -hmm. finance, um, you know, more than them. And so, you know, share your mistakes with them, teach them your mistakes so they don't make the same ones. And, and perhaps learn together, read the book together. Um, what a great tool, what a great thing to talk about. You know, if you're talking about chapter two at the dinner table, which is why you should tell the American dream to F off, great chapter yeah. uh, to discuss at the dinner table. And you know, if you've both read it, now you can have something to talk about. Well, sometimes parents and teenagers don't have a lot to talk about. Yeah, that's great advice. I really got interested in personal finance because I had to have a job early. I just wasn't an option to not. So I had my first business at 10. And so I was just always super engaged with it. So I think earning your own money to me was like the way I got so engaged in personal finance young because, right, I was getting this money and then my, my dad would sit down with me and be like, okay, what are we going to do with what you've earned? So I think that yeah. I, I like the part-time job. But I didn't have a yeah. book, so I just had my dad. So it would be great to have had a book. Yeah, there's so many things that the kids, young people, teenagers can do in the neighborhood. They can house sit, they can babysit, they can dog sit, they can mow lawns, they can shovel sidewalks. Um, yes. You know, just they can rake leaves uh, in addition to, you know, part-time jobs or in the summer, full-time jobs. Right. Yeah. So I started working at 10, which is obviously before you can have working papers. And I started a babysitting business. And as a 10-year-old, I think maybe I, I don't even know what I weighed, but I definitely didn't look 10. So I went and got a CPR certification so that I could 
get the business away from the 16-year-olds who looked like babysitters and I did not. I looked <laughs> like I needed a babysitter. So yeah, there's so many ways to like start and you don't have to have working papers. All the little side hustle jobs until you can get working papers, which varies, I think, by state. Yeah, yeah. Once kids start making money, it, it, it becomes a little bit uh, infectious or mm-hmm. they get more motivated when they see their own account growing because of their efforts. Right. Well, and it's tangible then, right? So it's not this thing, phantom thing that we talk about. It's, you know, you, you worked for an hour and then you got this money and now it's yours and you can, yeah, I think it makes it more tangible. Mm-hmm. Well, Dan, this was really awesome. I really enjoyed the book. I think that although the target market is definitely obviously for teens and can be super helpful, I think that if you're just getting started on your personal finance journey, you provide a lot of really great insights into the pillars of personal finance and financial independence. So I would say for all of our listeners, you should absolutely check it out as well. You don't have to be a teen. I enjoyed it. But if you have teens, it's a great uh, stepping stone. And I know some people that could really use it. So we will link in our show notes, um, your contact information. Uh, is there anything you want to give on the video, uh, though? Yeah. So there, there's one other component to the community. Uh, well, there is a community for what I, what I call Sheik's Freaks. Um, the theme of the book is to be a freak because you're different with money if you're if you're young and you're thinking about money. So we have a community called Sheik's Freaks. It's an online community. We've already got a lot of young people in there just crushing it. So if the teenager in your life is really into the book and they're really like they want to take it to the next level and surround themselves with like-minded young people, um, the Sheik's Freaks community is the place for them. Uh, there's a free membership and there always will be uh, the free membership level in the community, there's, which, which has a ton of value. There's also a paid membership level of about $100 a year. Um, but for your listeners, I'll give them a discount code. If the young person Ooh. wants to join in, um, they can get a nice discount on that first year. Uh, and there is also, by the way, a seven-day free trial. So any, anyone okay. can test out the, the premium level for with no risk for seven days. But Let's do discount code future rich, all one word, all lowercase. Um, so Perfect. if you enter that at the checkout, again, for the premium level, they don't have to do that. They can do free. Okay. Um, they'll get a nice discount. Wonderful. So that's a great holiday gift idea since we are coming yeah. up on holidays here. So thank you. Well, Dan, it was great to meet you. It was great to chat about your book. And um, I look forward to seeing you in the community going forward. All right, Barbara, thanks so much for having me. This was a ton of fun and keep doing what you're doing, by the way. Keep crushing it. I mean, I think we're all we're all doing fighting the same fight, just trying to spread financial knowledge and make people's lives yeah. easier. Yeah, knowledge is power. So we need more people out there spreading spreading the wealth of knowledge. So for all of our lovely listeners, you can find our most up-to-date information on Instagram at Future Rich Podcast, and you can check us out online at www.futurerichpodcast.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.